Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This evening, we're going to be in 1 Kings 10. Well, the last time, if chapter 9 could be called the excess of Solomon, King Solomon's kingdom, this chapter could be called the excess has been exceeded. We're going to look at Queen Sheba's visit, and then we're going to see the last section of the multiplication of horses, the multiplication of gold, in the next chapter, the multiplication of wives. Solomon could have been a math teacher. He deals a lot in multiplication. In Deuteronomy 17, 16 through 17, the Lord prohibited the, all these things, right? And Solomon violated all the precepts that God had set forth. Don't have multiple wives. Don't multiply your horses. And each one had a different reason for it. Don't multiply your silver and gold. And again, he totally blows through all of those prohibitions. We're going to talk about that. So jumping in, starting in verse 1, we're going to read 1 through 8. It says, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, or company, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him, about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land, about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes, and indeed the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Now, Second Chronicles 9 is, is a parallel scripture, and the title in the study Bible is Multiplication of Wealth. Queen Sheba comes to visit Solomon, and the question is, well, where's Sheba? After extensive study, uh, Sheba, well, definitely was in the south from Israel. Jesus even refers to her. I'll talk to that, talk about that as well. But Sheba was either North Africa, sort of uh, the Ethiopian kind of land, or uh, uh, somewhere on the Arabian Peninsula. So they were both south of Israel. As a matter of fact, Sheba and Dedan, I believe, are even mentioned in Ezekiel's major prophecy about the nations that line up in the last major battle. So Solomon's wisdom spreads throughout the area. The queen heard of his fame. No doubt this wealth and expansion was a vehicle for others to seek this wisdom. Now, be careful thinking that riches and happiness go together because keep in mind that after all Solomon's building projects, or after all his amassing of wealth, he writes Ecclesiastes, which is downright depressing. <laughs> all 12 chapters of it. The kingdom gets divided, and most of the wealth is lost. Lost, 
squandered, um, taken over by other nations that invaded Israel. So it's kind of sad if you think about it. This is the point that I think we need to understand is you don't get to continually violate God's laws with impunity. Just because he was the king didn't mean that he was going to get away with it. And there's consequences. And I think sometimes the, the folly, the foolishness on our part is we think, well, gee, I didn't get struck by a lightning bolt, so um, yeah, that's good. I could just keep doing what I'm doing. But really, that's God's grace. He gives us a lot of chances. He gives us a lot of time for us to come to some good conclusions. But many times people don't. Did King Solomon's expansion bring the truth of the monotheistic God, Yahweh, right, to the pagan world? According to the Old Testament, that was supposed to. The Jews, I believe, if you look at a map of Israel and the, the area of the world at the time, I know we're focused on North America and South America because that's where we live, but the, the whole world revolved or centered around Israel. Africa was to the south, right? Um, you had the the seafaring people to the west, Europe to the north, and the pre-Asiatic countries to the right. And I think God put them purposely right in the center of the world so they could bring him and his glory and the knowledge of him to all the peoples, all the pagan peoples. And I'm sure some of the Jews did. And we see this in the scripture. We see even in the Christ bloodline that some of the Gentiles were in there believing Gentiles in the only true God. However, However, some just enjoy the prosperity. Even today, some just enjoy God's blessing, not giving any, any mind to how they can use it to bless others. And sometimes prosperity, and in this case, the nation did have a lot of prosperity, can lead to pride and haughtiness. And then that begs the question, do we try to bring others to Christ through what we have, or do we just focus on the blessings? Do we hoard them? Because that's really not scriptural. As we continue, the queen peppers Solomon with all kinds of questions, and he has the answers. Remember, they're God's answers. Even in the New Testament, we look at spiritual gifts, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. We can also say that Solomon um, had the gift of administration, right? I mean, God really blessed him. The queen looks, and, and the servants, and the, how everything's orderly, and, and uh, everything is, is like clockwork. She sees it in his kingdom. Did Solomon take it for granted? Do we? We have a lot of blessings. By the fact that we live in the United States, we have a lot of blessings, a lot of opportunities. Do we take it for granted? Verse 7, the queen draws, or the wisdom draws the queen, probably again, his expansion project. People in, in Africa, in North Africa, said, oh yeah, Israel, King Solomon. Remember, he had ships that went through there. Um, he had... There was a lot of trade, you know, there was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, different trade routes, and people knew Israel existed because of this prosperity. You know, it's funny, in Luke 16, the parable of the unjust steward, the shrewd manager, the shrewd steward, is going to get fired. And he says to himself, you know what, let me go to my master as the creditor of some of these guys that owe him money, let me go, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> it doesn't say some of these guys, but basically <laughs> he goes to these guys and he says, oh, you owe my master 100 measures of wheat, basically, here, write 50 and it's a done deal. You, you owe my master oil. So he kind of wheels and deals, gets his master paid, but also makes the, those that owe the money happy at the same time. 
And the master actually ends up commending the guy for his shrewdness. And even Jesus says that the sons of the world are more shrewd than the sons of light. The sons of light, meaning as believers, we should also be shrewd. And it doesn't mean be business savvy for ourselves, but watch what Jesus says in Luke 16. He says, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. In other words, what are we doing with what we've been given? What Jesus is saying is, if you're a worldly person, you're going to wheel and deal in the world to get what you need. So the, the guy who's going to get fired, once he gets fired, he knows that he's got friends in the wheat business, in the oil business, and maybe somebody will give him a job. What Jesus was saying is that as, as believers, we should be shrewd with the things that we have, unrighteous wealth, but use it to God's glory. Use it to bring people into the kingdom. So when it fails, when this world ends and money doesn't gold, money doesn't mean anything anymore, that we'll be received into eternal dwellings. Now, it wasn't a picture of salvation, but it, what it was was saying that we should be doing more with what we have to further God's kingdom, where moth and rust uh, don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. So verse 8, queen, the queen is focusing on Solomon's wisdom and she pretty much deduces that everyone in the kingdom is happy. <laughs> it set up a flag for me to be under all that wisdom. Happy. Maybe also she was being jaded or not jaded, persuaded by all the wealth and the splendor. But in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, useless, futile. What's it all worth? What's it all for? Now, one thing she didn't say, and this is interesting, she's, she's a woman, she's a queen. Being a woman herself, she didn't say, happy are your 700 wives and your 300 concubines. Right? How can you say that? How can there be a relationship when you are one of a thousand? You know what I'm saying? Even if you're number one, I'm sure he said that to all of them, um, it's not a good, it's a weird relationship, if you could even call it a relationship. What about this? Happy are your confused children, most of whom probably don't get to spend any quality time with their dad because they have so many women, he has so many women and so many children. And I'm being sarcastic for a reason. So what I'm going to say to you is be careful not to misinterpret the Bible. We don't know much about the queen. Back then, monarchies or monarchs were born into this royalty. They had wealth and status that they didn't earn. They weren't necessarily qualified didn't deserve it necessarily, or, or like I said, earned it. The Bible is only recording her experience. Get, keep this in mind. The Bible is not recording the Queen of Sheba's theology or wisdom. A lot of people say a lot of things. But the Bible records the good, the bad, and the ugly. It doesn't mean everything that comes out of their mouths is, is gold. We have to take the source. Of course, when Jesus spoke, we can take everything um, at, full, at full face value. Now, the Bible says that she had no spirit left. In other words, she was left breathless. She was overwhelmed by this experience. Right? I mean, back then, to see so much extravagant... Gold is a funny thing. Gold, when it's hammered out and flattened and polished, and the sun hits it just right, or even if... Gold is beautiful. Thinly uh, hammered out gold, and is this gold everything? Everything probably sparkled. Right? She saw this. Even Christians today sometimes misjudge ministries and even big events based on the sense of being overwhelmed, not necessarily if the Holy Spirit was a part of it. Sometimes we falsely equate a rush 
you know, the hair on the back of our neck sticking up, you know, excitement, adrenaline with, wow, that was the Holy Spirit was there. Maybe not necessarily. You know, we have to be more discerning than that. Beware of experiences. Don't let the Holy Spirit be overridden by experiences. I mean, seriously, what do we do? All right, Solomon, he's entertaining guests, right? What do we do when we know companies coming over? What do we do when maybe somebody, company of a certain stature is coming over? We clean the house, we clean the bathrooms, we tell the kids to behave, we put the pets outside, right? What do we do? We put on a presentation. This was a presentation that he put on. He, he did, you know, he put on a show. Smile, everybody. Ding dong, they're here, right? So, so listen, this guy had a lot to present. In Matthew 12, 42, Jesus mentions the Queen of Sheba, but let's look at what Jesus is commending and what he's not necessarily commending. He says this, the Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation, meaning the generation that was alive or around towards Jesus' time. She'll rise at the judgment and condemn this generation because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now someone greater than Solomon is here. Jesus, of course, is referring to himself. Jesus, unfortunately, lived in a time where there was a very hard-hearted generation. They were just looking for signs. Let's take this in context if we read the whole scripture. The Pharisees were asking him about a sign, and Jesus goes into this about what a wicked and adulterous generation, just looking for signs. See, the Queen of Sheba traveled a long distance because there was a wisdom that she was lacking. What Jesus was saying is, and here you have one greater than Solomon. Every word out of the mouth of Jesus was the, was the wisdom of God. And he had people right next to him. And they just said, uh, show me a sign. You know, raise somebody from the dead. Do a trick for me. And Jesus condemned them for that and said that the Queen of Sheba would also somehow in the future rise up and condemn certain towns and cities and people groups that had the presence of the Son of God and just poo-pooed it, so to speak. Verse 9. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Blessed, or because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great abundance, and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Actually, if you do a study on spices and very interesting. A lot of spices and you know, things that they grind up from plants, they desiccate them. Uh, extracts and stuff are, have healing properties. There are things that we can't get in the United States that we have to have shipped from Asian countries or from the African continent or something to that, uh, you know, the Mediterranean area. So it's actually fascinating, the whole study of that. But the queen has an epiphany about, about God based on what she saw and heard. Um, we don't know if she became a believer. Now, there's good people, good Bible teachers who believe that she did become a believer, and there's some that believe that she didn't. Remember, the, the false gods of the day were territorial deities. So you would have, and this is what people did, they worshiped the god of the hills. Right? If we're going to live on the hills, we better talk to the god of the hills, that we're prosperous, the god of the valleys. If you were seafaring people, you know, there'd be the god of the ocean, you know, Poseidon or Neptune, or you'd have the god of fertility, or you'd have the god of, of farming. I mean, this is what, 
you did. So it's quite possible that she was being polite and she was amazed at the God of Israel. But when she went back to Sheba, she worshipped the God of Sheba again. We don't know. Could go either way. As a matter of fact, when we went out Friday night um, talking to people about the Lord, we went evangelizing, I met a man who's Hindu. And I asked him some serious questions. He said, we have 68 million gods. Now, I had a question, and, and honestly, I wasn't trying to be funny. I really didn't know. Who counted all those gods? How do you count 68 million gods? Do they all have names? I said, do they, do they argue with each other? Do they fight with each other? Do they all get along? I mean, these are questions you have to ask. Is what you're believing truth, or is it just because somebody passed it down to you? I couldn't keep track of 68 million gods. Remember, again in Matthew 12, she wasn't commended necessarily for her faith in God, but that she, sh- she sought out something attached to God that she was lacking. Verse 11. Also, the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almugwood and precious stones from Ophir. And the king made steps of the almugwood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also harps and stringed instruments for singers. There never again came such almugwood, nor has the like been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. So this is more insight into Solomon's wealth. Right? This Solomon gives the queen some parting gifts, so to speak. Verse 14, the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. People who want to play with numbers, who like numerology in the Bible, 666 is the number of man. Not saying that Solomon was the beast, but seven is God's perfection. He definitely was a, a worldly guy. He, was a, you know, he went away from God and, and started acting just in the flesh um, with his life. Besides that, from the traveling merchants, uh, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country. So the value, if you think about this, if you take all the talent, it was really a weight, more than a dollar figure, but you take gold, and, and gold has fluctuated for many years. Uh, you're talking literally, this was in the billions of dollars. This was a lot of gold. 16. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. When we covered the, um, the temple and the grounds, we talked about all the different um, places that he had, the halls, the different... You know, he had his, his palace, he had the, like porticos, you know, he had all these different, probably was beautiful. As a matter of fact, they, I was reading an article, I showed it when we talked about the temple, how they, they discovered, they dug up some of this stuff. It's interesting. But when we think of shields, we think of shields for protection in war. Arrows, swords, spears, javelins. But gold is useless for a shield. There's no army that ever existed that did well with shields of gold. They might have been wealthy, but they didn't protect themselves very well. The problem is gold is a very soft metal. Okay? So you would use a harder metal to resist. You know, you use the, the hardest metal you can to, to rebuff the swords and the different things that came at you. 
This was an array of a beautiful showpiece, showpieces to astound its viewers. That's what it was. Right? And it's put really beautifully, polished gorgeously, hammered gold, probably art, artisan work all over it. And you would bring somebody into that room, they go, wow, that's beautiful. Right? They weren't real weapons, they were show weapons. See, there's, there's dealing with wealthy and then there's an excess that, quite frankly, in the world people do it. But for God's people, it shouldn't be so. There's excess upon excess. I'm going to read an article to you just to make you laugh. As we continue this, let's keep this article in mind. Dailymail.com, it says, Gild the Throne. Kanye West and Kim Kardashian flushed nearly $1 million on gold-plated toilets for their new Bel Air mansion. <laughs> Just when you think it can't get any wackier. See, now they're finally paying t- attention up there in the balcony. Okay, I got your attention. <laughs> but it seems that Kim Kardashian has also been busy with all the important task of decorating her and Kanye West's new $11 million Bel Air mansion, which is currently being renovated. It has been revealed that the couple have splashed out, very clever, a whopping $750,000 on four gold-plated toilets for the sprawling abode. What are toilets used for? Is this really necessary? Uh, Kimye now, now joins the likes of other famous celebrities and members of royalty who also have gold-plated plumbing features in their homes. However, the couple cannot quite compete with the world's most expensive gold toilet, the $5 million Hang Fung gold toilet. I think they're a, a dynasty somewhere. There's actually a picture, if you can get this in color, on your color printal, printer, of a gold toilet bowl. Okay? So there you have it. When you have so much money you don't know what to do with it, you put it in your toilet. You put the gold in your toilet. So there you have it. Here's the difference. West and Kardashian are godless people. Solomon was the king of Israel. There's the difference. He, he was held to a higher standard. Were there any poor people in, in um, Solomon's kingdom with that type of prosperity? There shouldn't have been. We're going to read more about his gold cups and gold throne and ivory and spare no expense. I mean, God had some of the things in the temple made with gold, and there was a certain reason for it, uh, certain metals, certain trees. There was representations, certain colors, certain designs. We went over this in the temple. But this, Solomon's, I, I believe if I read the scripture correctly, I actually did read it last time, it took him to do his whole palace and his furnishings uh, almost twice the amount of time as he did the temple. He spent a really lot of good time and a lot of money on his stuff. So, that, that's what we're dealing with. 18 through 21. It says, Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. By the way, ivory is beautiful. Unfortunately, today, um, they're killing so many elephants and uh, creatures that have ivory, naturally, that grow out of them just for their tusks, and they mutilate them, and it's disgusting, quite frankly. It's a horrible thing. So ivory is beautiful in itself, but he overlays it with pure gold. And I'm not saying he did that, but I'm just bringing it down to our, so you can 
look at our society and, and just make some comparisons. The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. Not one was silver. For this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. Silver wasn't worth anything in his days. Verse 22, For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory. If that wasn't enough, they brought apes and monkeys. So, so Solomon, this the Jerusalem Zoo, I suppose. I don't know. but Verse 23, so King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom, and all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. Let, you have to make the dichotomy between when, God was, or when Solomon was wise and when he wasn't. I think I'm a fairly intelligent person, but sometimes I do stupid things, and you would know I'm terribly smart by the things that I do. I mean, this is what we can do as human beings. We can have the gifts of God and then be in a hurry, be impatient, that's usually my problem, do it in our own strength, and then we embarrass ourselves. So Solomon, it's been, I actually read somebody that said, Solomon was the wisest fool that ever lived. Uh, I'll continue. And the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules at a set rate year by year. So the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God gave him. But how many people were led to God through this? With that type of expansion and that type of trade, it should have been a whole mission dedicated to bringing pagan peoples to God. But the Bible doesn't reflect that. And his allies came to hear of his wisdom. Oh, look at that. Wow, Solomon's kingdom. Do you think the allies came to learn more about God or they learned about his wisdom to take it back and go back to their kingdoms and make their kingdoms extravagant. I want to make my palace look like Solomon's palace. I want my throne to look like his throne. We see that today. Are we so naive not to think that that happened back then? <laughs> you know, I, I wrote in my notes something funny. I wrote, don't let your opinions get in the way of your teaching. As you could tell, I'm not a fan of Solomon. I don't like the guy, you know what I'm saying? And it's funny because people are really divided on him. And I'll tell you, the prosperity gospel loves him because they're greedy. They want God to bless their extravagance. Don't get me started on Creflo Dollar and his $66 million jet. Verse 26. And, and Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars as abundant as the sycamores which are in the lowland. And Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Keveh. Deuteronomy said, don't go to Egypt to get all these horses. And he did what God said not to do. And king's merchants brought them in Keve at the current price. Now, a chariot was, that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. And thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. 
multiplication of horses. Again, in Second Chronicles, you know, nine, we see this as well, right? Parallel scripture. Solomon's life was enigmatic. It was a it was a puzzle. Sometimes it was hard to find the line between when he was acting properly as God's agent and when he was acting for himself. But I think as we see him later on in his life, it's an easy one to figure out. Solomon used the blessings no longer for God's purposes, but for his own purposes. I want to read a little bit of Ecclesiastes. And again, Ecclesiastes is a book or a letter or penning that Solomon wrote, I believe, maybe on the tail end of the apex of his, as, of his extravagance. He allowed wealth and many wives and many horses and all this kind of stuff really pull him away from God. Many today foolishly wish that they had Solomon's problems. But if you've ever done studies on, first of all, gambling, you hear this, oh, we're going to bring gambling here. Gambling brings mob activity, prostitution, neglected children, uh, bankruptcy. I mean, I can go on, the social ills of gambling. I don't, listen, I don't judge anybody who goes to Atlantic City. I personally don't. I don't judge anybody, though. However, gambling, you see the pictures of the boats and, the, and, the, and everybody's laughing at the craps tables and all this kind of stuff and the cards, and that's just a, a commercial. And then we see the social cost that we all have to pay for and the lives ruined. Proverbs 20.21 says, Inheritance gained hastily will not be blessed in the end. Let me go jump to, to Ecclesiastes. I'm just going to take a few verses at a time. Ecclesiastes 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, or futile, futile, worthless, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It sounds like actually the ramblings of a madman when you start to read this. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. This is Solomon. Um, continuing two ten, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked upon all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. And you know you can't grab the wind. It's just not something attainable. Um, 5.13, there is a severe evil in his mind, which I have seen under the sun, riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. He came from his mother's womb, naked he shall return, Sounds like Job. To go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. This is also a severe evil, that justly, just exactly as he came, he shall go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Really? A million dollars are going to make us happy, any one of us? Just going to turn things around for us? He's basically saying, I, can't, I couldn't take it with me. And then if you continue in, in um, Ecclesiastes, he goes, and if I leave it to my son, is he going to use it wisely? Is he going to ruin it? I mean, you, this is 12 chapters. Check it out one time. At the end, he gets it right in chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. 
Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. Proverbs 15, 16-17, also written by Solomon. Better is a little fear, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. You think he had love with 700 wives and 300 concubines? You think that his children respected him? I don't think so. But everything his heart, everything he saw with his eyes, he, he had, he took. Uh, four, in Matthew 6, 28 through 30, Jesus says that even Solomon in all his glory, all his beauty, all the finest dyes and robes and and, and thrones that he could put together. Jesus said Solomon in all his glory wasn't as beautiful as the wild lilies that grew in Israel that God had created. I'm paraphrasing. So even God, how he makes sometimes, you ever see a weed that, that sprouts up and it's real pretty? There's this blue weed that grows on the side of the road. It has these pretty blue petals. I actually took, took it and put it in my yard hoping that they multiply. So even God's weeds that he puts out there, even the lilies that sprout up here and there, that the birds eat the seeds and they defecate and they grow somewhere else then. This is how stuff gets populated, right? Plants and stuff. That Jesus said, even Solomon in all his glory wasn't as pretty as these little lilies that grow up. Pretty impressive. And then lastly, five. I'm going to have, I'm going to ask, um, I'm going to get a lifeline from Warren Wiersbe to bail me out and how I feel about Solomon. So I really respect him. First Kings, be responsible. Page. This is what Warren Wearsby says about the whole thing. Love this. So I was like, I'm not the only one. <laughs> okay. He said, Why did Solomon need 500 shields that required 2,525 pounds of gold to make? Why did he need an ivory throne overlaid with gold? Why must he and his guests drink only from golden vessels? To what purpose were thousands of horses and chariots he assembled? Why did he need 700 wives and 300 concubines? In pursuing each of these goals, Solomon disobeyed the very word of the Lord. The Lord warned, warned in Deuteronomy 17:14 through 20 that Israel's king was not to multiply horses and go to Egypt to get them, nor was he to multiply wives or gold. Solomon not only acquired thousands of horses, he became a horse dealer himself. Deuteronomy 17.20 warns the king that he must remain humble before the Lord and not consider himself better than his brothers, all the men in Israel. It's not difficult to believe that Solomon's heart was lifted up with pride, and pride always leads to destruction and a fall. Proverbs 16.18, well said. So, no, most of us will probably never be like Solomon. Probably never have as much as he had. I don't know any monarchs here. However, in our own little worlds, we are blessed by God. And we have to ask ourselves, am I always wanting more? Am I always wanting the best? Do I think I deserve the best of everything? You know, I mean, better is love. Solomon didn't have that. Better is the fear of the Lord than all the stuff that he had. He's, he lamented. Solomon is one of those bi biblical historical figures that some really love and others despise. My personal opinion is that he was a fool not because he was wealthy. I deal with, in professional organizations, I know many wealthy people. They're wonderful people. 
The problem with Solomon was he took God's blessings and instead of using them to further God's kingdom, he used them to further his own kingdom. Instead of using God's blessings in a life's pursuit of saving pagan souls, he became lifted up with pride and allowed his riches, women, wine, horses, gold, silver, and territory to take him away from God, and he ended up a depressed fool at the end of his life. He hurt his country, he hurt his children. I would say he hurt his wife, but I have to figure out which one of the 700 I was talking about. That's a joke in itself. There's no three strands, there's no coming together with a husband and a wife and God when you have 700. It crowds the playing field, plus 300 women on the side just to please him. So as our lives come to a close, and I talked about this on Sunday, how many days we have left. If I live to my 80s, i got about 11,000 days left. It's not a lot. What will you and I be known by at the end of our life? Will you or I be writing our own version of Ecclesiastes? I certainly hope not. I know Christians who have so much wealth, talents, abilities, blessings, and they do nothing with it. They do nothing to further the kingdom. And I know others who do as much as they can with it. As much as they get, the more they want to give and help others. So I want to be known, I know for me as Joe DeProsimo, I want to be known as someone, when I die, who tried to win as many people into the kingdom of heaven and to help them grow. That's me. Let's pray. You've been listening to to every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.